Hey, this is your Aunties Could Never, a podcast where you get to hear from your favourite aunties who have all the real talk with our thoughts on what's going on in the world. We'll be reminiscing about what it was like black in our day, and most importantly, we'll be helping you sort out your daily dilemmas with advice only your coolest auntie will give. I'm Auntie AK, and I'm here with... Auntie Farah. Auntie Nana. And Auntie Shade. Hey ladies, how are you? Hello. What have you heard? So... My news is good news. The woman that brings us such joy, Beyonce, oh, Black is I... King, was released. And it was everything I thought it was going to be and more. It was <laughs> just such a delight. I absolutely loved it. I guess this might be like a short one because I just wanted to know what you guys thought of it yourself and if you enjoyed it. Yes. What were your favourite bits? Let's say that. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a visual treat. It was cinematically beautiful. The costume was epic. The choreography was amazing. Like, I can't say enough good things about it. And it just made me realise, again, that anyone that has anything bad to say about it, not only do you hate Beyonce, but more, most importantly, you hate yourself. Um, <laughs> What I loved is the fact that, you know, like there was all this, oh, she's only representing us as kings and queens. Number one, they explained, they had a narrative that ran through it and they explained Mm. what they meant by representing as kings and queens. Number Mm. two, she didn't only just show them sitting on thrones and shit like that. So uh, yeah, I loved it. It was great. It was amazing. Yep. Um, At first I watched it and I was like, it's really hard for Beyonce to top herself. So looking for more in her work is what people kind of default to do and I was a bit like okay 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 and then I don't know what hit me I don't know if it was brown skin girl that really cemented it for me that I was like yeah this is actually phenomenal she's done a good job I'm definitely am in the let's look at it from all sides and perspectives because I don't think we can discount the, the views of people who on the continent who have views about this I don't think it's our necessarily our place to override what they say but I think she's done a really good job and I definitely think she's taken into account and I say she it's not about she it's about her whole damn team and I think there's been a lot of conversation about Beyonce putting the by Beyonce tag on it when and saying that she directed things and stuff like that when people are like well this thing that creatives do where they might do a a line on something and then they claim their title again I wasn't in the room so I don't know what she directed what she didn't but I don't think that's an issue I think what's more important is that she worked with so many African, especially, which is important a project, on a project like this, to work with African creatives. And everyone that works on this can dine out for days, because I would, if I literally walked on set, that'd be it. That would be my <laughs> meme, that'd be my Insta, that'd be on everything, yes, I was on set and everything. So imagine the people that actually can claim that they worked on it. They've got an exec producer credit, a director credit, a creative artistic director, director credit, a costume credit, all those people, choreographers that are involved get to really champion and be part of something that was a really monumental moment so I think it was brilliant and I'm I yeah I was really impressed by it yeah it's not much I can say either because it was really good really good I haven't watched it yet I don't have Disney plus and nobody has offered me their oh my god you I will send you mine yes, yes. oh here they all come out there of the woodwork I haven't asked anybody <laughs> no um from the clips I've seen though I know I'm gonna like it I, I know I am um from what I've seen artistically, I've seen some symbols, I've seen like the cow, I've seen Baphomet in there where she has the horns, like just lots of mm. metaphysical concepts 
that are in there, the blue man, the blue man's dancing, everything mm -hmm. else. So I'm happy to see it. I think the kind of devil, <laughs> the devil <laughs> worshipping ankle that I've just been seeing floating around everywhere <laughs> is again to be expected. And what has just got me annoyed, rolling my eyes, just passing it on, is the cultural appropriation argument that people have been going on. And it's just like, how can an African culturally appropriate anything African? It's inherently within her DNA to explore her African mythologies and, and religion. That's up to her to do that. So that's just been a slight annoyance in people's ignorance that you would claim that somebody who is from the diaspora can't explore African religions and mythologies. It's folly to me. But that's been about it. I will watch it. The boys have even seen it and they absolutely love it. People need to get past this thing of you have to be born in Africa to want to represent as a black person to want to represent African history, African culture, all of that sort of stuff, because then where does that leave us? Where can we find unity if that's what we're all saying? We're, we're as bad as the racists, if that's what we're all saying. I watched it with my daughter and she loved it. It was so funny because when we started watching and I told her we were going to watch Beyonce, she thought we were watching Homecoming again. And she was like, oh, this, this is different. And then she's like, yeah. oh my God, this is amazing. Like, she loved it. She, she really, really loved it. Auntie AK, you said something yeah, the about, crediting, the crediting about the crediting. People. That was it. I think it's her project. She did direct it, but she was very clever in mentioning other people. There was co-directors and there was a list of other directors there. So it's mm. not as though she's saying that she had no help, like she did it on her own. And I think mm. if something is your project and you, you have the vision of it, whilst you're working with people, ultimately it's yours. So I don't think that there was anything wrong with how she listed the credits you know if she didn't have anything to do with it artistically at all production wise at all she just showed up then that would be different but you know she sat down and went through every single thing because she is that meticulous and we've seen it mm -hmm. in her documentaries we know that she played a, a role in that so i think anyone that has any problem um with the fact that she took the first credit again you're just finding something to hate if I was to sit down and make a project, no, my name's going on the, on the top of it. Like, why not? <laughs> like, yeah, I acknowledge everyone I've worked with, but my name is going at the top of it because ultimately, if something went in or didn't go in, that was down to her decision-making. Yeah. So, yes, she did direct it. Suck it up, people. Stop trying to find flaws. You know what? That's, it's so funny because I did notice that as well. And... I was just like, you know what? I'm going to start doing that because it's such a boss move. Because I have the tendency, if I'm working on something, I like I like to put my name last. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, I'm not the most important. But do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's a very, like, British reserve thing. And I just think, like, men are not questioned in that sort of way. So if Jay-Z had done this, no one would have batted an eyelid that his name was, would be first. Do you know what I mean? At all. I, I don't know. I just think it's misogyny. And women are guilty of misogyny, too. But I do want to quickly just shout out the Vanderpies, who were featured in Brown, I mean, what, what song was it? Brown Skin Girl. What's Brown Skin yeah. Girl, isn't it? Yeah, kind of thing. The whole family was in there, you know, Tamara, Aww. Vanessa, Charlene, their children. It was amazing. And then also Play's daughter was in there as well. She was actually the Brown Skin Girl. I just thought London stand up, this is amazing. Or UK stand up even. Like, it was just really cool. It just really 
to be honest, and I know this is not a popular opinion, but Brown Skin Girl is not one of my favourite songs on the album. Not because of the meaning, I love the meaning, but I just think it was it was a bit too nursery rhymey for me. But seeing the visuals with this just completely changed it. I connect more with it now, kind of thing. And I was just, yeah, as you can see my excitement, I was, <laughs> I was very impressed with it all. And also Franklin, King of Trainers, his niece was apparently in the video as well. So what I'd like to understand is why the aunties weren't first port right. Because I feel like the aunties <laughs> represent a lot about being brown-skinned girls. I think, <laughs> I think our narrative fits. And, you know, I have, you know, I could easily wade in the water and do all those moves like Beyonce does. I can dance too. I can um, do the hair. I could do the hair. I mean, I can get a wig, you know. But that aside, I think it was Jenny Nkuru. She's a British-Nigerian filmmaker who directed that and she's also had a relationship with the Carters doing um, their ape shit video so there's some Jen actually was the one who brought even worse now Jen I'm going to be on to you because you know me I don't know why I didn't get that email but anyway <laughs> I heard about that email yeah. after the fact like literally everybody you know I mean? to get this mythical email yeah I said, exactly why did I get an email I, do, I wanted to um, point out the, the discussion about um people talking about the album and stuff like that because I just wanted to make a comparison to Kendrick Lamar's Black Panther soundtrack and I was like now if Beyonce had done an album that was for The Lion King and that didn't utilize African creatives and African arts and African narratives it would have been a problem it's a problem mm -hmm. now and it would have been a problem and I was really disappointed with Kendrick Lamar's Black Panther soundtrack because I felt like he didn't do enough and I felt like the soundtrack considering Wakanda considering the whole revolutionary thing of um, um, Black Panther I really thought he would have done like a pretty much similar thing to um, the Lion King soundtrack and had a more featured album with more, and I, you know, featured African artists and stuff like that. And also I would have, you know, a couple of tunes are like proper trap tunes. I just feel, felt like it missed the message. And I think Beyonce really took time because also because whether, even if, even if she was being the worst ignorant person, she knew that she had to do something that was really representative. And I think she really hit all the marks. And as I said, the fact that lots of um, African artists and creatives can, and British black creators and all that type of stuff can dine off this. It's an amazing thing. And I definitely think that Disney was not, would not have been able to do an album like they did for the original animation. It was made by a white man, Elton John, with the characters voiced by white actors, all that type of stuff. So this is a real reflective and representative entire project when it comes to the mm -hmm. soundtrack and Beyonce's um, visual delivery. I wish we had some of the, um other side topic, like um, comments on this, because we all kind of agree that it was visually stunning and pleasing, but there's so much conversation out there where it's like really highly opposed to what she's doing. And I'm so biased to it. It's like, I can't, you know, usually I can try and dig deep and get the other argument. But with this, I don't see the logic in it. So I can't even explain the other side. So I would have loved for somebody in the comments to have had the opposing view but there doesn't seem to be any <laughs> there on this occasion. I was going to say that I'm with you, Auntie Sade. The visuals of this have now helped me listen to the album in a totally different way because I kind of like listened to it and I was like, yeah, that's okay. I'm with you. I didn't really like Brown Skin Girl because it's too, you know, no. but looking at the visuals, I just want to go back and revisit the album now. And I think a lot of people have done that because it's really helped interpret it differently the Kendrick thing he could have done more and I would have expected him to but it's funny how people didn't have so much to say about that mm -hmm. whereas with Beyonce she's done mm -hmm. the opposite 
and the, the chat just don't stop. It just doesn't ever stop. <laughs> so it's like, well, what do you want her to do? What more do you want her to do? She's one person and she's trying and she's saying that she's trying and you still got chat. She made this visual in like um, the Grand Canyon only. <laughs> People be up in arms about it, and she stood in front of you know um, the Statue of Liberty. People be up in arms about it. They would boycott the woman, it. She, they would boycott it. <laughs> what do you want her to do? So I don't know. There's one particular person who had a real post on it on Facebook, and it was like you know the symbolisms, dis- disrespectful, all that type of stuff. And I was like, I-, I can't get behind that because, and also one, I don't have the authority to kind of argue about which symbols and metaphors and religious connotations she used. I don't know all of them, so I can't, I don't know, I can't say that this was used inappropriately, where this was used correctly and all that type of stuff. It looked stunning and it looked great. I've seen people comparing it to devil worship and all that stuff, but then everything to do with African spirituality is written off as juju and negative. So then again, that's not a logical argument. And people are saying they didn't like it because it's disrespectful. I just knowing Beyonce how she is, and I don't know her obviously, and like you, Nana, I kind of want to find the auto argument because I just, like I said, I don't want to dismiss anyone who has a real critical point because I think it's not fair to say that everyone's stupid and everyone hates themselves, really. I mean, everyone's up for criti- criticism, right? So everyone can have a valid opinion. However, this person that was saying that it was disrespectful, I was like, I don't really understand that. I can't really see that. And in the end, when people were kind of saying, well, this just sounds like hate, they were just like, yeah, well, you know, that's just my opinion. And I was like, well, that's not fair then. You're just putting that negative stuff out there and actually your argument's being shut down whenever you counter points that means you didn't necessarily have a point if you have a strong point give me evidence give me facts and i can like okay cool she maybe she made a mistake there and things like that but you're right because if someone has got a proper point to make and it's backed with evidence that's Mm. fine like when someone said they don't tour in africa that's that's factual we don't know why let's investigate why maybe it's to do with resources that are out there that's a proper argument but to just come out and say yeah i don't like it it's devil worshiping that makes it makes no sense beyonce could do an advert opening a tin of beans that she made on her farm and people will have to say something about it yeah <laughs> like, what she's just Basically. unfortunately one of those people shall i just read out a few comments kef too sir said agreed black panther music was mediocre also says as people sometimes we are never satisfied but she killed it and me says black panther was pop nonsense i have to agree with that one yeah the only song i liked on the black panther was um stars and I, yeah. I, I, yeah i loved yeah. that and that's the one that had the most kind of like visual african references and that could be seen as appropriation because it was only one bit that suited that video and the rest of the videos that I think I saw released have nothing to do with Black Panther. So that's where the argument is like you, you're just borrowing it to suit one thing without living, like giving a whole entire contextual experience. And especially something like Black Panther, that album should have been Lion King part two. <laughs> like, you know Basically, I mean? yeah. It must be so soul destroying to have your piece of work be rubbish like this, like again and again, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I feel for the girl, man. Seriously, That's why she, she doesn't is, talk. Absolutely. I think she is putting her heart and soul into these projects and she's bringing everybody in that she can and she's trying to do the right thing and she's doing the research or she's getting the right people. And, you know, even from a business perspective, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, you can't be the smartest person in the room otherwise you're the wrong, in the wrong room. You're supposed to bring in the experts in every field to make sure that it's sound. I don't know, man. I, I can't, I, I, I just can't hear it. It's just hate. 
I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> that people can't be stupid. They are. <laughs> How I would process it from Beyonce's point of view, I think she probably there would be one part that would be a bit disappointed, but then you know that whenever you're in your art, you're in your craft, there's always going to be lots of people that are against it and you are not doing it for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes what you're doing is a bit forward thinking compared to the masses. So mm-hmm. she will probably not get her props until she's dead. Yeah. And then it will be like the genius of her work. But I think as an artist, you almost expect that. There's a bit of praise in that opposition because you know that you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Even if people hate you, you know that an, an emotion is being stirred in them. Yeah. In so you know you're doing something right. And maybe the tide will come onto your side afterwards. Like your children will reap the benefits of, of your praise. But at the same time, she does have millions of voices praising her. So even if you have millions against you, millions for you, really, you just have to ride your own wave. And I just appreciate her consistently putting this notion of Africa out there in various different forms, because then it allows other people to do the same and have more pride as well. So whether it's for capitalist purposes, better a black family profiting than the McCartney's. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm more for her doing something than somebody else, really, because somebody's going to do it. So I want to talk about Jamaica's Supreme Court ruled that a school was right or OK within their legal right to ban a child with dreadlocks. So I'll quickly run the story. Shireen Virgo said that she's not going to be cutting a seven-year-old daughter's hair despite the court ruling that Kensington Primary School in Jamaica did not breach her child's constitutional rights when it denied her access in 2018 for having dreadlocks. So at the time, the mother was told that her five-year-old daughter at the time would need to cut her hair before she could attend the school, which is one of the top performing institutions in Portmore, St. Catherine, Jamaica. The school stated that the wearing of dreadlocks was against its policy. The Supreme Court had granted an injunction for the child to attend school after Jamaicans for Justice filed a motion on behalf of the child and her parents in August 2019. The mother said that her daughter has performed exceptionally in the two years she has been at the institution, despite the controversy surrounding her hairstyle. She said that her daughter topped her class on both the first and second year and was looking forward to going into grade three this September. So my whole thing is that you would never think that Jamaica, of all the places, would do something like this. But I know, I obviously, I know not every black person is a fan of dreadlocks. <laughs> but I, yeah, I was just really saddened to hear that this kind of thing is happening in a black country. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on it. Not everyone in Jamaica is Rastafarian. That's not everyone's religion in Jamaica. So, in fact, mainstream institutions are not Rastafarian. Mm-hmm. So, in Grenada, most certainly, I know that schools have this kind of policy as well. And in order for people to, to get their children to go there, they have to have a letter by like the, God, I'm, my cousin's like going to kill me. But you have to have a letter by like the leader of like, I, I can't even say what it is. And I don't want to say it because I don't want to get it wrong. But someone <laughs> from that Rastafarian culture who's at high at the top of the tree, can't remember the name of it. They have to write you a letter. Then you have to give that to the institution. And then from there you can go. But you have to be, it has to be part of your religion for you to be accepted. So it doesn't surprise me. We get this here and we do assume that because in Africa or in the Caribbean that they are predominantly black countries, that this sort of thing won't happen. But it will happen because you've got religion versus race. 
in those areas. So Christianity, the people who are Christians don't necessarily respect the Rastafarian religion. So therefore their idea of how someone should look and be presentable is completely different to Rastafarian cultures or even people who aren't necessarily Rastafarian in terms of they'll have dreadlocks, but they might just be growing their hair because you don't have to wear, have locks to be Rasta, as yeah. the song says. It's upsetting that in this day and age, people are still doing that. And if it was in England, I would be questioning whether or not they would do that with Sikhs and a bunch of other people who have traditional dress in, as part of their religion. And Rastafarians have been persecuted in, in Jamaica since their inception anyway, so it's not surprising you would hope that we had moved on collectively to actually just allow people to express themselves how they want to express themselves especially a child but obviously there's still work to be done all around the world in that front i really feel like there's no point in getting hit up about it though i was thinking really to take this to court why if your child in hairstyle is being persecuted do you not think that the school is the wrong place for that child to be in? Why do we battle against institutions when we can actually just do this ourselves? That we shouldn't be enforcing our children on an institution because they will probably be indoctrinated while they're there. So if we're having this feedback from them that your child in this form is not appreciated, I would not place my child there because I would think that after you've gone through this indoctrination, the human that I'm getting back is not in alignment with the values that I want them to have. So why, why are we trying to fight this? Like really the institution is not, is not for us in lots of different ways. So it's not surprising, but I was more upset with the, oh, we should do something about this. And the do something about it to me isn't, we should try and get this inherently racist institution that is being spread around the world to change but to start our own methods of education um i think the way i kind of saw this was i saw it from more of a british perspective first of all i thought it was interesting that this story was as big as it was here because i'm just like are people going to try and use this to justify their nonsense over here do you know what i mean like that that's the way i saw it is like mm. what is the uk interpretation of this because it kind of like was like it was very mainstream and it was just like but usually you don't give her two shits of what was happening anywhere else so it's just it was it was almost like it was the piece was being used to reinforce like some of these negative stereotypes around Rastafarianism and dreadlocks and all that kind of thing. So I, I, I saw that and I just thought, oh, they're pretty sneaky for doing this. And then on the other hand, from like a more Nigerian perspective, like in Nigeria, in some schools, it's still commonplace to cut all your hair off mm. when you're going to school, boys and girls alike. I think there is like mixed views on it, but the, the idea is that the only thing you should be worried about is your education. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of religion. So I was placing like this limbo kind of area. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that's a totally different way of thinking about things. But I obviously understand that people have a lot of prejudice when it comes to this sort of thing. I do think that it is down to us. It is, it is and it isn't. It's, it's like you need both streams of thought at the same time. So <laughs> we do need to build a safe space for people to be how they want to be. And we also need to stamp out discrimination wherever it arises. And we need to do that for generation after generation and not hit up on that mm -hmm. fight. 
basically. So I don't think it's like a either or. That's where I kind of came to. I agree with you, Monty Chardet, because I think it is two streams because it's not always easy for people to then say, we're going to build our own. I know when I sent my daughter to high school, I wished I had more conversations that I had later on in life about homeschooling and maybe having more culturally representative education for her weekend schools and stuff like that. But that conversation wasn't around me because most of my friends, their kids weren't the same age as mine. And I was on my own in that respect, trying to work and do that. So and then I really, in the future conversations, especially in the group that we were in, Nana, the Facebook group we were in, those conversations, I was like, ah, oh, damn, I missed out. So it's not always easy to then say that let's build a school, especially in the, when the time is passing, we're trying to get your child into school. And also you have every right for your child to go to a good, a good school. And even though some schools have got their funny ways, your child, if, you, if he's got good upbringing at home, he or she's got good upbringing at home, they don't always come out institutionalized. So, and sometimes it's, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but I'm also, you know, my daughter had issues going to her institutionalised school, I think. But it also gave her some insider knowledge on how to deal with people like that. So when she goes out into the world, she's not blindsided. I'm not saying that that's the way, the Mm. perfect way to do it. But you do learn some some things when you go into schools that are usually exclusive to you. Right. So um, I think you must do both. And I think I just took it on a very simplistic level that. It's a black country. I know, I mean, even, you know, in Africa, in Ghana, the same thing. You go to school, hair shave. I was talking about this with my mom. And she was like, first she was like, oh, dreadlocks, I hate dreadlocks. But then she, she was like, but that's the old African way. There's a judgment again about dreadlocks and things like that. But then she was like, actually, if they're neat, what's the problem? You know, if it's just a neat hairstyle and it's something that if you're not a Rasta and you have dreadlocks, it's a black hairstyle. So the fact that there's a whole ban, it's mad. And I just went straight to the colonialism brainwash and just thought mm. this is more than, yes, the, the religious um, aspects of it, but also it's just like, as black people, what, where are we at that we're going to also, and, it, and also that thing, as you said, Sade, that it reinforces the UK's um, racism when they want to do that. Well, look, Jamaica, they, that's the home of dreadlocks, mm-hmm. you know, that's the stereotype, <laughs> that's where they all come from. So look, they don't like it, so we're all right. So mm. it's just, I just was really, I, I wasn't really saddened. I was just like disappointed in the whole outcome and seeing that. I think we should push against the system for things like that, especially in a black country. But yes, also we should look to what we can do ourselves in our own communities. Sorry, I was literally just reading up just in case this is wrong information, but from the top of my head, somebody in the comments can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure that that whole cutting off the hair thing actually came along with colonialism because we didn't actually educate our children in the same way before the British um, mercenaries then came back in to kind of take over the countries. And that was because most children were taken from the rural communities' farms, away from your family, placed into boarding schools, and they couldn't look after their hair properly because you didn't have the systems in place. You, you didn't have a mother and the white people couldn't look after it. So you cut your child's hair, like they cut the kid's hair instead of doing it. So there, we have a long history that's being placed on us of a disconnect mm. with our hair and how we look after it. And every decade you see how this kind of erodes to now, I, I, I'm guilty of it myself which is why I sell the head wraps it's like it's hard to kind of look after my hair the thing that grows off of my head it's like I'm, I'm always in the flux of can I look after it what should I do with it da, da, da. and these are the things where uh, our 
our self-love for our hair just is in flux and there's so much hatred around it. So that's what I'm talking about with like the kind of whole indoctrinations. It's like it's placed on us in so many ways that we internalize it instead of actually really self-actualizing how do we educate our children on lots of different levels, even to the point of literally the hair that grows from your head, you should be able to style however you want to and still be educated. And if you can't, we need to work on how we educate our children because definitely that article to me, it's, a, it's another plant for some other head teachers that really just don't even like girls having their hair in big ponytails now, mm -hmm. if it isn't straightened. Coming back to that point of that's not neat, you know, wanting to enforce relaxers like they do in South Africa. It's like we're not too far from these ideas being backed up by families and institutions being like, this is our idea of neatness. I do not think that the natural hair movement is that strong or seeps into institutions where they won't start having a go at black girls having their hair natural. So Zell says there's a long history of anti-Rastafarianism in Jamaica. They have been persecuted. Check out the Coral Gardens Massacre. And she says that locks are seen as dirty by many people of African heritage. I think that that probably comes from colonialism, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just like girls, it's also boys too. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I know certainly my little cousins growing up, they didn't cut their hair. It was not, it was not something that their mum wanted to do. My nephews as well, they don't cut their hair. And they have been told in school, and this is like eight-year-olds that are in school now, people are saying stuff about their hair to them. It's like, well, why don't you know, why don't you cut your hair? And what do you mean you don't wash your hair every day and all of this kind of stuff? Exactly. There is still a lot of education that has to go out about black people's hair. And part of that is us owning it as well and making sure that we educate our children and let them know like, there's nothing wrong with the hair that grows from your head and this is how you treat it and all of that sort of thing. You're absolutely right, Auntie Nana, when you say like, it's the, the natural hair movement still has a long way to go. And that's why I think it's necessary to knock at the doors of the people that we're trying to it, it sound I don't, I don't want to ever be like we're begging or begging a space but if these institutions are the dominant institutions that our children have to go through and we don't have yet have the systems to set up our own schools in a way that is as supportive as the, the, the mainstream schools then we do need to i just don't think it's right that these schools institutions get away with it and we turn it away and so we'll do it our way i think we should do both and also the mother was saying that the child in even during this time She's been excelling in school. So that also counters the argument that your hair has anything to do with what goes into your brain. This whole stupidity, because I remember when I, we were in high school, my friends who had long hair, they used to do like the bobbles and the twists and all the little um, hair bands, multicolored hair bands. Now, obviously my friends took the Mickey and put bare toys on their heads and took <laughs> it too far. I mean, but even then, why is it too far? Because essentially what's on your head has nothing to do with how you learn unless you are providing a distraction where you yourself are distracted mm. and there are those people who, you know, you know that you're doing it just to get attention and you just want to be the joke in the class. That's individuals. But generally when people express themselves, I think my daughter also mentioned in her high school, a girl, my, a, um, a white girl did her hair red and that was fine. But when a black girl did it, because the authorities, the teachers know that, well, red hair is not exactly a black person's hair color. That girl got penalized. So it's a bit like, there's so much unbrainwashing un that needs to happen and it has to start. I think if we're going into these institutions, we have to also encourage our children to represent their hair, how they, you know, how it should be. And 
also challenge these people because it's, it's it's annoying and it's worse when it's black teachers enforcing it too. Yeah, because the thing is, it's not just in schools. There's no point us doing stuff on our own in schools if then later in life they've got to go into institutions, be it because of the area that they've chose to work in, and they're encountering this again. And in terms of like ignorance of hair colour, yeah, I dye my hair, but let me tell you this, there is a whole area in Jamaica where people have red hair. That's what they've got. So I'm always telling people we come in all shades and, and, and all sorts of things. It's just so ignorant for someone to assume that you're black, you have to have black hair. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just educating people that, that there are that there's such a vast amount of differences between textures and, and complexions and things like that. And we shouldn't be boxed into one specific area because that's what they think is acceptable. I'm all for, I wear my hair how I want to wear my hair when I go to work and let anyone tell me anything. Mm-hmm. I dare them, <laughs> you know, but we, but we as adults do have to also put up with that. Oh, how did you get your hair like that? Oh, is it shrinkage? Oh, what's that? Oh, all this stuff. And it's just, I think it's important to educate our children so that they know how to handle this when they get to that stage in life and they're, they're encountered with all this crap. <laughs> I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on our present situation in the UK, well, in London specifically, with our, our global retreat slash lockdown that we're all kind of <laughs> navigating through. Mm-hmm. If we are going to go back into being restricted in our movements and how you have all been experiencing having more freedom, like, are you comfortable being out and about? Have you been socialising? Like just we haven't had a, an update on how we're coping with um, the current state of 2020. How has it been for you? I love going outside, can I just say. I was out yesterday, I'm going out tomorrow, I'm going out on Friday. I just want to be outside. I, I don't like the whole prison thing, the prison at home. I'm not on it at all. Yeah, it's definitely been refreshing being outside. I'm okay, like, as long as people are wearing masks and not too close to me, I'm actually all right. And it's, it's kind of getting busier, but it's not super busy, right? So I've gone on the tube a couple of times. Yeah, it's fine. It's, just, it's not too intense, really. But I'm going to a launch tomorrow, so I'll see how that goes. But, like, you know, I'm sanitizing. I'm just uh, being mindful of what I touch how close people can get to me <laughs> and I quite like I, I quite like wearing my mask you know what London yeah there's so many I swear we've got the most CCTV cameras in the world right in our city yeah, yeah? I wear my mask man you don't need to see my face on that camera <laughs> <you know what laughs> <I mean? laughs> but yeah I'm happy to be outside I really hope there's not a second wave I have a feeling it's probably coming though, to be honest. It's inevitable anyway, because we're going to come up to flu season. People are going to panic. It's going to be very hard to distinguish whether you've got COVID symptoms or you've got flu symptoms. There's just not going to be any way around it, really and truly. So it will just be like the beginning of the year, basically. I don't want a second wave. I've started to get used to being outside a little bit. I haven't been out a lot, but I was really enjoying being locked down. Not in the enjoying the whole shit, the world going to shit, but <laughs> I really did like my time because it meant I had time to rest and focus on what I needed to do. And it's been a bit mad, everything picking back up because I'm super busy now and I miss the calm of lockdown, early lockdown. Going back out, I'm now getting used to it again and I miss it. I didn't realise I missed it until I started going out again and I like, I wouldn't mind 
having more to do outside again. But lots of my mm. events and stuff aren't yet, you know, junkets and premieres and all that type of stuff that aren't happening. I don't want a second wave. I don't want us to be totally locked down. I want the world to slow down a little bit <laughs> just so I can play catch up again. But yeah, I don't know. It's a bit weird wondering like what's going to happen in like, is it going to be two weeks? Is it going to be three weeks? Is it going to be a month? Is it going to be December? I don't, that's the part I'm not comfortable with, the unsurety of how deep this is going to get. And I really feel like, I don't know if it's a full sense of security that it seems like no one around me or no one I know has since had it or passed from it or had known someone who's passed from it. So I, I don't want to be comfortable in the moment thinking it's all all right. And then it hits again. I'm not looking forward to that fear because the fear factor you know, my daughter having to go back into placement and then not being able to see my mum. And I was starting to see my mum. We actually spent time with her on her birthday and she didn't wear a mask in the house. So it was like, that's nice. And I missed that. So I really, I'm a little bit like, if that's going to return, I don't want to go back to that, that real fear factor of if you go outside, you might just get this deadly disease and die. I, that I don't like. But other than that, I'm kind of getting excited to go back outside and I'm, you know, slow down the pace a bit. I haven't had a fear of the outside for this entire thing. I haven't been fearful. And I don't know if that's because I've had to go to work every so often or whatever. Um, so I'm very conscious of being safe outside, like you said, Auntie Sade, and you know, wearing my mask and sanitising and all of that sort of stuff. I was in a queue the other day to get into Zara because I had some stuff to return. And there were two people behind me and they just did not know how to respect social distancing. I will look at somebody if, if I feel like they're coming within my two metres because I feel mm. like less will be respectful of that. I think there will be a second wave. I think it will be controlled much differently. I don't think they will lock down the entire country. I think they will lock down areas specifically where there are spikes. That's what I think will happen because the government are fully aware, which is why they sent a lot of people out earlier than they should have, that financially the economy can't take it um, if they did a complete lockdown. I'm happy that more things are taking place outside. It's interesting to see how it works. I know a few people that have been going on holidays. So it's just, you've just got to try and live your life and see what happens and just be mindful of everything because it hasn't gone away. But there are still a lot of other things that are out there as well that can get you. So it's just like, what are you going to do? No, I think I said it at the start. For me, this is much like normal life. So I work from home. I've been at home. Other than spending way more time with the kids, I've really enjoyed it, but being very fortunate that, again, nobody in my immediate family circle has had COVID or has passed. It's all been outside people, people that I know, but um, not anybody close. And yeah, I've just taken this time to like really treat it like a retreat. And it's felt like that globally as well. It has felt like people have been on retreat there's been lots more self-reflection lots of change lots of movements being born what happens when you go on a retreat is that it's like you you soothe yourself but then you also heal and then you have more learning and I felt like the world has gone on that journey as well so we, we ask for things that we were all kind of wanting something to shake up everything and we got it with COVID so I'm more interested in how everything is going forward like what is the new normal going to be what's going to be that settling point I haven't gone anywhere rave like or really social other than having people around to my house we went to a restaurant once but that was really chill there was hardly anybody there like but you know like really like what's it going to be like going to a cinema or to the theatre 
is that even going to happen this year? Those are the things that I think about. Like, how soon are they going to let all of us just be free and be out again? Is that going to happen? Or are we all going to be, like, really measured when we're going out? Is it going to be, like, no more than 200 people in the space? Will we have festivals before 2025? Those are the things that my mind... (laughs) (laughs) My mind runs through, like, this going on for years? Or are we going to have a festival next year? I'm thinking of those things. I think that it's just going to be like flu. I think that's what it's going to come down to. I don't think it's going to, I think the the deadliness of it is going to be reduced. The way that it's coming across in the media, it's just going to be reduced. I think that taking your temperature before you go into like a building, a restaurant or whatever kind of thing, I think that's going to come the norm. I think whatever's like low barrier stuff, I think everywhere you go, you're probably going to get free masks. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think those things, those preventative measures are going to happen. Much like in, you know, the eastern parts of the world or like, you know, African parts of the world where they're fighting Ebola. Like, everyone gets their temperatures checked when you're going from one African country to another. Do you know what I mean? It's like standard procedure. So I don't think it's going to be that dramatic. What's going to happen is like in about when the next general election comes along, they're going to cuss this government for being overly dramatic for how they dealt with it. That's what I think is going to happen. We went to ping pong yesterday and got 50% off, well, £10 off our meal, which is great, which I, I didn't remember. Oh, the government um, initiative. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I'm easy. I've been to a few restaurants over the last few weeks and that's what I mean I'm mindful but I haven't had a fear like I've just been trying to live my life in the most mindful way that I can so I've been to a few restaurants I got that 10 pound per person off initiative yesterday when I went out to eat so that was great Mm. in terms of the new normal I think you're absolutely right and I, I can say this because of the stuff that I'm working on myself in terms of multiples of people in indoor events and stuff like that it is going to be the new normal that you get your temperature checked. It is going to be the new normal that you might have to sign a declaration. And the procedures that are going into this aren't that wild, if you know what I mean. It's things that people can quite easily agree upon. And because of the way that everyone is operating externally, like wearing a mask when you go into shops now, these are things that people are all just going to get used to. And as you said, Auntie Sade, there are countries in the world where that's standard anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's just a new way of thinking. I don't think that stuff's going anywhere soon. Auntie Nana, I think there'll probably be festivals next year because all of the things that are happening in terms of large quantities of people, that is a test run for more things. So you've got outdoor events happening on a very small level, which is a test run for cinemas and theatres and studios and all of that sort of stuff, which then is a test run for the next big thing. So I do think that we'll get to have festivals next year, depending on how the COVID spike continues. The only thing I wanted to add is that I'm just really, really, really grateful for the cleanliness or the appeared cleanliness of stores that you, you knew didn't really give a damn about yes. hygiene. Yes. So seeing, <laughs> seeing hand sanitizer in all the stores, the fact that, because I used to really hate carrying shopping baskets because you just think, who the hell carried this before me? Can't do nothing about it. The fact that I can clean my um, basket handle before going into the store and shopping, it's just such a relief. So, and just general hygiene seems to be up in the UK, which where it wasn't before. Yeah. So yeah that if anything and I hope that I want to see hand sanitizers for the rest of my life everywhere that there should be hand sanitizers (laughs) I want I don't want there to be that level of complacency like ah we're all right now and go back to the dutty streets Mm. of London so um bring on the sanitizer and in every single store so that I feel a little bit better I think that it's here to stay you know looking at stock levels for the stuff that I'm doing again it's just like that kind of stuff is here to stay 
it's mm. going nowhere. And as a scornful person, long may it rain. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've got a few news stories, and I just don't know which one to pick. I'm, I'm going to say headlines, and you can tell me which one you want to discuss. Right? Okay. So there's one about the Bronx Zoo who apologised for imprisoning an African man back in 1906. They had him as part of a... Um, a oh, uh, as an exhibit? Yeah, exhibit. they had him yeah. as an exhibit with the yeah. monkeys. There's that one. Then yeah. there is Zimbabwe agreeing to pay the white farmers compensation. And I'm it's like three point something billion. And then there's the footage of the man who the two NHS workers who were at the bedside of their dying child and basically got arrested. I think so too. Okay. So basically, Zimbabwe agrees to pay $3.5 billion to the white farmers who were affected during Robert Mugabe's ousting of them. $3.5 billion. Thoughts, please. No, I think. You know what's just been really annoying about this taking place? It's regardless of that money that's going to go to them. I'm not surprised they're going to get their money. But it's more on the discussions around reparations that once that came out and then we had, it came out like maybe 48 hours before Emancipation Day and the marches, but a, a lot of talk has been in America around reparations anyway, like for the last couple of months. It's just the way that that news story was being reported was like, oh yeah, they're being compensated. You talk about reparations and it's like, why would that ever happen? From both sides, like you also have black people that are like, it doesn't make sense to, to give black people money because they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> but there's none of that when you have a group of farmers who are using black labor, who stole land, they're thieves, being compensated. There's no, oh, they don't know what to do with it. They didn't know what to do with the land. They were using black farmers. So basically you've come and taken land and then you just had free, next to free labor in order to farm it so that you became millionaires because your land that you stole was taken back, you're now being compensated for your thievery. Like it's like, and that's, that doesn't come with the same type of, oh, that doesn't make sense. It's like, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> it, just, it just winds me up. But I think it's by design. I really feel like this is done to wind us up because it doesn't make any sense. So for even the fact that this is happening, in the age of Aquarius makes no sense to me. So it says basically that uh, during the Robert Mugabe's administration, they evicted four and a half thousand white farmers to redistribute over 300,000 black families as a way to address the effects of colonization, right? Theft. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> Even the language. Right. No. Evicted. Exactly. They, they, so, it's not evicted. <laughs> they should have right. been convicted. and the 3.5 billion half of that will be paid over the next 12 months okay now this is a country who recently the dollar was worth what like you might as well have lit it on fire because that's how much it was worth it was worth you would get more out of it by using it for heat than you would for actually (laughs) being able to flipping spend any money with it right three and a half billion dollars This just reeks again of when slavery was abolished and they compensated the slave owners. It is the exact same thing. Zimbabwe, if you have 
three and a half billion dollars. You should be investing that in the country with your people who are still struggling. The mind boggles that people think that this is acceptable. It is just the most, one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard of. And I wonder why they're having to do this. I really, really would like to know more about this and why they're saying half of it has to be paid in the next 12 months. Where are they getting the money from? Probably um, the World Bank. It's just a way to keep uh, another African country in debt and to lose their power, really and truly. I think that for Robert Mugabe, this side of the world, he's got very, very, very bad PR. Now, I'm not saying he was a good guy or a bad guy. What I take from him was that he was trying to preserve his country. And I think, in some ways, the leaders of countries sometimes have to do barbaric things in order to preserve them. So I'm not justifying what he's saying, I'm just trying to understand. And I think that what he done is almost like no different to any Western country trying to preserve their country and their people. So I just think if you look at it through that lens, he's just the same. And then I just think like, well, of course, when he's gone, you're going to put someone in or aid or support or finance or something in some sort of way that's going to be sympathetic to the more powerful force in inverted companies needs and wants. We've seen this over and over again, that if a government doesn't support the Western viewpoints, doesn't support their position or their imposed position that where they want Africa to be, then there's a coup they get rid of and then they do it again and again. So anytime the, you know, the country rises up, gets to a certain level, there's a coup, that person's gone start again do you know what I mean so it's just like it can't be conspiracy theory if it's happening over and right. over and over mm-hmm. again do you know what I mean like it just it, it just can't be and it's just to a certain extent like honestly how dare you <laughs> like do you know what I mean like I just can't like how dare you even think that this should be put forward not not to Zimbabwe because I have a feeling and I don't know this because I, I'm not totally well divorced, but I have a feeling that they're probably in such a desperate state that this is the lesser of two evils, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? This is, mm-hmm. do I watch my people starve and die or do I pay this money? Do you know what I mean? That seems like a short term. You, do you know what I mean? Like it seems like the easier mm-hmm. version of that's what it is because that's what's happened previously to other African countries. The how dare you is to the West how dare you is to the farmers to even think, to have the audacity to even ask for this in the first place. That's where my how dare you goes to. Because I, I just think it is diabolical that we're in a position where this could be still a thing in 2020. And honestly, I don't know. I, I, I just think, <laughs> I don't even want to go to you, but the times are changing. That's all I'll say. Like, times are changing. This will not be the norm moving forward. It just won't be. I'm just going to read a few things that the president said. Sorry, just Auntie AK, just before you go, because this might make you say some more stuff. So he has said, right, this is a monumentous occasion and it's historic in many respects. Yeah, you're damn right it's historic. This brings closure and a new beginning in the history of the land discourse in our country. 
He also said that after almost 20 years of conflict over the land issues, representative of the farmers who lost their land through the fast track reform program and representatives of the government have been able to come together to see resolution of this conflict. It's nothing short of a miracle and has been a dream. What a dickhead. Yeah. What an absolute plant is what he is. I don't have much to say because I think you've one you've all said it and it just disgusts me and it I again it feel, I feel like maybe it is easy for me to say because I'm a westerner a western african in you know I'm living in the diaspora so who am I to come and criticize how an african country should run itself and maybe people are tired of having the fight and being destitute and not having all the resources because I think there's sanctions against Zimbabwe all this type of stuff so they haven't got the resources that they need. They can't grow everything themselves. They can't trade because of all these sanctions. It's like back when there was the apartheid thing. Um, everyone was sanctioning them. Oh, I mean, many times the West likes to sanction countries that don't do their bidding at a whim mm-hmm. anyway. And who am I to tell these people to just like, listen, hold out and fight some more because you might just be tired. But that president, and also they always have the presidents that they can manipulate. So this guy, we don't know what's in it for him. We don't know if he actually is tired. Mm-hmm. Or if he's just like, yeah, my inner circle is going to be nice. And mm. the rest of it, I get peace and quiet and then I get some favours from the West. I don't know. I don't have much to say because I'm just saddened by it. How dare you? Exactly. It's the audacity to dare to think that you are owed money from a country you've raped, pillaged and destroyed, who you still can continue to rape, pillage and destroy. Because like what's well, I'm sort of warped, can't even. Um, it, it makes me angry. Why is there never the other way to follow through on what Robert Mugabe had put in place? So I get you have sanctions, but just there's still a whole load of African countries to trade with, to have resources from. I know that this is a really simplistic standpoint, but sometimes it's the the simple ideas that really we need to think of. Why is this not being done? collectively mm-hmm. that the African countries are not why are they not really trading in a set African currency that the continent has why are all of these things in place to stop that f- from happening and how long are we going to be the battery resource for the West mm-hmm. so at some point one to five to all of the countries have to be like we are not going to be the battery source that immediate cutoff for that generation there is going to be some type of suffering because the stream of theft has been going round so they're stealing from you and giving you lesser so at some point you'd have to stop it and do a china and cut off ties and be self-reliant and then you come back with something so for those generations of chinese people who and I guess they're kind of still in it because there's a real underclass that is also generating China's growth. But I do think that there's something in that, that as Africans, we do have to have this conversation that this has to take place because it's like a false sense of security that you need the West. They need Africa more than you need them, but they're selling it like we need the West more then they need Africans, like they're mm-hmm. doing you a favour. And I think really Robert Mugabe, he set that precedent that this can happen. And yes, he wasn't the greatest at it and he had lots of faults and lots of people were persecuted under his regime as well. But really taking the land was the right thing to do. 
in history that was the right thing to do and what this man has done and that's probably why he ruled for so long is because there's nobody that had the balls to keep this going as soon as he dies what happens you go and give them billions not even millions you know not even just giving them land back you give them billions but again africans can't get reparations for being enslaved for 400 years we can't get reparations for being um, under colonial rule for over a hundred years. Like, how does this even make sense? And for an African country to again be in there handing over, you don't have the money, so that has to be a loan. Mm -hmm. So then you are going into further debt to be controlled for a further hundred odd years for your people to be under this. Like, actually, I'd I'd prefer whatever they're holding over your head, it's how it should be. Like, we've just got to take our shot. At some point, the chains have to be broken. Are we going to be in this bondage forever? It's just really annoying. So I'm not giving this president any leeway. He probably isn't even a man anyway. Well, he's some robot dude. Like that, that statement is just, just disgusting. Right. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like you're going cap in hand when you know that you're selling your country's resources down the river. You know that you're selling your country back into slavery you know that you're doing this and you're going to be like oh this is the best thing for us like <sighs> shit has to change i don't know if i was there i'd be ready for war on this one like i'd be like this cannot happen really yeah i don't know what the state of things are right now but i just wanted to add that you know we've seen this kind of thing in recent times with south africa and what Nelson Mandela did and like Mm. you know we we have a lot of praise for Nelson Mandela over here but essentially you know South Africa is still suffering because Mm -hmm. of the decisions were made and the agreements that were made at the time do you know what I mean and it's just like we know what the outcome is so why would you go and put people in a similar situation from that perspective it's just really disappointing I hope that there's the people of Zimbabwe have enough fight in them to rise up and to dead this, really. It's just so interesting the words that are used to describe this act. You would think that it, all the, the Western world saying this to the African countries and to the Caribbean <laughs> countries, the wording that's used, like he said, it's a testimony to the fact that as fellow Zimbabweans, we can peacefully resolve our differences. We cannot change the past. We can only learn from it. Let us build the trust that is de- demonstrated today. I mean, who's he talking to? I just <laughs> see it's, it's hypocritical because he's that, saying that we cannot change point. the past. Do you know what I mean? Like, so what are we giving the money for? Exactly. <laughs> Can't exactly. change the past. It's done. What's done is done. No, you lost it. your land. That's how it goes, isn't it? You right. go back to where you came from. As a symbol of our commitment to the rule and law of property rights. Are you sit like, again, who are you talking to? How did they get that property? What did they do to get that property in the very, very beginning? Like, exactly. it's just nonsense, isn't it? And I do feel like you're all right. He, I, I think that he is a plant and that there's a lot of other stuff going on. He's probably being bullied by a lot of people in the Western world in order, you know, like if you want to rebuild your country and you want to trade with us, you will do this. And, you yeah. know, these, these are some very powerful people. Four and a half thousand white farmers. The compensation is 3.5 billion. 
Mate. Yeah, you do the math all the time. This is it. So it's just like it's saddening to me that this is what is happening in this day and age. It just it sickens and it saddens me. To, to put this in context, just remember that the UK only finished paying off their what do you call it plantation owners in 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to put that into context. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In terms of what that agreement means and what it potentially could do to our country. He's basically signed away generations and generations of wealth amongst, you know, that's what he's done. I just don't like it. Just don't (laughs) like it. And I feel like a child. I don't like it. It's just horrible. It actually makes me sad, actually, that that this is forever, potentially. Because I think also people on the continent need to have a moment of living in the West and looking at Africa from our perspective and understanding the value in it. Because I think when you're in it and you have that, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for, I really, I don't know, I'm conscious of speaking for anybody. Some people don't get it, how powerful Africa is, but it's, they've been made to feel like this is like a worthless place that they need the West. And I think it is that, that dependency on the West needs to go. Hey, I'm Auntie Nana. You're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. Now it's time for aunties to fix your life with Aunties Know Best. <laughs> Can I go with my yeah go, go with my dilemma story? Yes, young lady, go ahead. <laughs> well, hopefully, people have seen this um, video going round where it's a woman in a kitchen and she's praising her boyfriend husband, saying that he is an amazing dad. And then the dad is filming this and he hands her a present and is like, "You're an amazing mum." She tears open the present goes through various layers till she gets to a piece of paper. And the piece of paper is a DNA test stating that the child that they thought they had together is not the man's child. And the woman then proceeds to be like, why would you do this to me? And the man is like, he gives her, I think it was like until the end of the week or the end of the month to leave with her child. Now, my question is, what would you do in that situation from the woman's point of view? How would you go about solving this? What advice would you give to the woman to try and solve this? (laughs) You flipped that. You flipped that neatly. (laughs) Then the child is three years old. So firstly, the guy has bonded with the child. Yeah. See, I'm talking about from the guy again. It's hard to say it. Like, from I, the I woman, like, what, would yeah. you, what would you advise her? Like, she obviously... I would advise what's her. What's this to work? Bitch, it ain't working. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> because you're dirty. You're nasty, you're dirty. You knew the thing. You, you gave the man jacket. You reap what you sow. Okay? That's the dirtiest move that you can do to somebody. All you can do now is try to have this man salvage a relationship with your child because for all intents and purposes for your child that's her dad you can't expect the man to feel any type of way towards you you can't expect him to be like oh babe that's okay no problem we'll work through it you may work through it but you have to leave and try to work through it externally he's well within his rights to be like nah you did me wrong she's wrong she needs to go she's wrong she's wrong she's wrong Right. When I watched it, okay, I do believe they're acting, but I do like the idea of it, right? <laughs> but when I watched it, I thought, 
the guys cold because it was the daughter's birthday, right? Like, if you're upset, I get that, and the angry, anger, all that kind of stuff, I get that. But the way that he delivered that was just cold. So that tells me that that's not the kind of person she needs to be with anyway. Do you know what I mean? Because he's on that cold revenge shit. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that's a dangerous person as far as I'm concerned. So you need to be away from them. I watch a lot of paternity. (laughs) So bad. I watch paternity court. I don't know if you guys watch paternity court, yeah? That shit is addictive. (laughs) And the thing is, like, some of these women, they go into this court thinking that they know who the father is. Like, with 100% conviction. <laughs> yeah. But I think what it is, is that they, they really want the person to be the father. That's what it is, because they've got their own stuff going on, and maybe recognise that they're a good man, and da-da-da, and, like, I have a bit of sympathy for that. Like, I have a bit of compassion for that. They Ultimately, they want what's best for their child. Do you know what I mean? So they get caught up in something. It's hard to get out of it, right? Especially if, if the guy is an involved father. And what I see a lot of there as well is, like, the pain that the men go through when they actually, they find out it's not their child. There's not often a sense of like a real relief, right? It's almost like, ah, I wanted that. So, so I would say she needs to let him vent and have time. And if he doesn't want to speak to her again, he doesn't want to be, she needs to accept that. But if she wants to try and make it work, then she knows that her apology needs to be shit hot. It needs to be, do you know what I mean? She needs a tone. <laughs> she needs a tone for the sins. But like, um, I think it's more common than we think it is. That, yeah, that's it's another thing as well. It's much definitely. more common than we think it is. It isn't right, but I do understand how women can get caught up because there's a lot of shame associated with sleeping with multiple people. And also as well, it's you can't just put it on the woman either, man, because... If you ain't strapping up, bruv, and more with me, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, at least we're not in the US, because in the US, in some states, if you put your name down as the father on the birth certificate, <laughs> even if you find out and there's a DNA test that says that you're not the father, you are still, in some states, legally the father and have to <laughs> pay child support. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. That. I understand the stigma upon having multiple partners at the time and then thinking, oh, damn, I'm pregnant, I don't know who's who. And I think it's the shame that comes with, because I think you, relationship secrecy aside, cheating, all that type of stuff, it's just generally hard as humans to admit that, look, there's a chance that this might go this way or that way, but I still want to be with you, so can you ride it out with me? And it's even worse for a woman, because men lie about secret children. Women, it's even worse if you're like, I've had multiple dicks in this week and one of them landed and I don't know which one it is but I actually will hope that it's the one that I'm with you know but it doesn't excuse it because I think if you do get yourself in that situation and you're not strapping up as strapping up or um, ins- insisting that those dicks are strapped up or that you've taken precautions yourself then <laughs> as a woman in this respect especially if you want children and especially if you have someone that you're you're in love with or you want to be the father of your children then I think the onus in this situation is on you because you've got a situation that and especially being a woman, it could get super messy for you, worse than if it was a guy. So that yes, men should be responsible, but in that space, if you think that's your woman as well, and she's dicking about, then it's a bit hard for it to be his responsibility. So it has to be on her, especially if you realise you've got someone that you, is a good guy, is a real one for your, the father of your child. I think doing it on the child's birthday is cold and wicked, and I definitely think that needs to be addressed. Don't do that, because you're just doing that for dramatic effect for the socials, 
possibly, and just because you want to get her. But that's not doing anything, because if you're that bothered and that hurt and really care, you're, that child is now the furthest thing from your mind, and all you're about is retribution and your ego being salvaged in front of a whole bunch of millions and however many people see this thing. So I think then that becomes a selfish act. So doing it and then putting it on socials is, it doesn't change, it doesn't resolve anything. The woman gets shamed, the child gets shamed, that lives on forever. Uh, how does that man feel really? Does he feel vindicated or do you feel like a shit? And you should feel like a shit for doing that. Definitely have it out with your woman or former woman. And the woman just has to hope the best. If she really wants a guy back, as um, Shadow said, it's got to be a shit heart apology. I and mean, you've got to maybe worry his feet, do all the things he likes in the bedroom, give him food, do everything he likes for however long it takes. Or just walk away and just, you tried it. <laughs> <You're lost. laughs> I don't know if it's cold. We, amongst this podcast, have talked about men cheating and stuff before. And some of the things that we've said that women should do to get back at the man that have done X, Y, Z, that could be seen as cold. Now, when you looked at the video, it wasn't like he did it at the birthday party. The little girl had, or child had had a great day and they'd done all of this stuff together. And then it was after when the mum was cleaning up that he had presented to her. Now, you but can say that. Men, though. Yeah, no, I know. But, uh, but we've talked about doing, we've, we have yeah, talked we have. about if a woman finds out that her man is cheating for X, Y, Z, it could be cheating with her friend, could be cheating with, we've talked about wait, payback. And some of the stuff we've said in terms of payback could be seen as cold. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So we, but go on. I'll just try to act like you ain't got vin- like vindictive <laughs> tactics to you. Exactly. We've all said some shit. Like I, I most, I'll hold my hand up. I'll speak for myself. Like I have said some shit. So I can understand. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I can understand why somebody would feel the need to get this person back the best possible way because they bonded with that child. They formed a relationship with that child. And somewhere in that woman's brain, somewhere in her brain, she would know, even if she wants it to be this person, there is a chance that it might not be. Unless she didn't have sex with anybody else. That's the only way. But somewhere in her brain, she knows that it's a possibility. So it's cold of her to have gone throughout Mm. this period of time without addressing it and just making this man bond more and more with the child that's a cold move so Um, maybe they just shouldn't be together because they're both cold how about that (laughs) i'd like to remove myself from the we because i laughed along but i didn't endorse (laughs) but however (laughs) i still because even i think cheating with their children involved then i would say then that payback has to be considered because you have to think about how it's going to affect the children in that way so that that payback on cheaters it comes with conditions. I think there's, you know, by the way, I haven't seen the video. I'm just going on the back of what you're saying. I didn't know he did it after the party, but the fact of the matter is he still waited to the child's birthday party. I just think that's really super. It doesn't, it's not significant to anyone but the child that particular day. So. Significant to the mum and to him, because that's the day that the child was born. That's the day that this bond with the child was formed. It is significant to them. It's significant to all three of them. Fine, but I, well, personally, I think it's like, really, as adults, you should be more mature about that stuff. I think he should get her back over, he should get her back, but I just think the video and filming it, putting on social media to blast, and then that living on forever, for the child to know, and for the child to know, have that thing about their mum, mm. as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing that justifies that. If you really are true to what you care about the child, that means the child's emotions go out the window. It's about you as the person who feels hurt. And there's a level of, okay, fair enough, but I just think, you could just do it the day after because you don't even have to film it and put it out there, to be honest. 
But, you know, it is what it is. We live in a social media age where everything's about capturing it, filming it and sharing it. How's that different to when they go on Maury and all those shows? I don't like those shows. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying that you like it. I'm just saying like it's it's no it's no different. Yes, I agree with you about it being out there for the child to see, but it's the same as when people go on these shows and they do these paternity tests, isn't and it? I don't like those shows either. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I agree. I was just going to say, um, I remember reading that this is so common that now I'm sure it is most British hospitals, if the child needs a blood transfusion and the father, so the hospital find out that the father isn't a match, because it is he's not the father that they will not tell the parent like that's mm. actually in it so that they don't say that you are not a match of your child they just make up something else so actually mm-hmm. institutions will lie to a father to cover up that dna mishap that <laughs> 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 like actually like society yeah. has conspired against fathers on this point as well <laughs> I just feel that if she really, really wanted to try and save it, the best thing that she could do is fess up, but be like, it was a one time, a few days apart. Like somehow I really thought that this child was yours and, and really just go down the, the mercy route like, and beg and plead. But actually like just put your hands up that you really thought that the child was, was his. But again, I'm sure there's loads of people. I think it's like 20% of people who think that that's their father. It's not your father. And of men who think that's their child, it's like 20%. So, You know what? I'm starting to think that she should definitely just leave him. Because <laughs> actually, no, I'm certain of it, that he's being vindictive. I just don't think her actions are vindictive. Do you know what I mean? I think the, the actions... In that moment when you're choosing who the father is going to be, yeah, because that's what she, that's what she done. It's not necessarily a vindictive thing. It's just that they're choosing what's best for their child or best for their situation and stuff. I don't think it's vindictive. And if you're not vindictive and you're with a vindictive person, then it's a recipe for a disaster. So I I just think they should just go their separate ways. Just gonna read some comments. Nigel Mark, and he says, bravo, Farah. She has to eat all the mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Andrea. As a, as a woman, I'm taking my child. He's basically given the child marching orders, you and your child, he said. I agree with you, Auntie Farah, in the, in the sense that the day is significant to all three of them. And that's why I think he is being super vindictive and super cold because he picked that day. Regardless of whether it was in front of people, or in the kitchen. Also, he kind of built it up like, oh, you've got a present. There was thousands of layers, yeah? He, there was vindictive. And he was holding, I know, that was cold. Doing it, it the whole time. So I just thought, nah, he's there to hurt her. And I get that pain and I get the hurt. I do, I do, I do. But at the end of the day, you have to take a step back from that and just say like, if you don't want to be there, you can kind of just walk away. You can deal with it in another way. I don't know. You know what, actually, because some men will just lash out and hit you. So, mm-hmm. you know, he this didn't do it. that, he to be fair. Yeah. Not that that's the baseline, but he could have been a psycho, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, sorry, maybe I missed, missed said when I said it's not a significant day. But I'm thinking that if you really care about the child, that day is more important to her. That's her birthday. But obviously, yes, it's a day that she's created. So it's insignificant to everybody involved. But yeah, it's just vindictive. And I... When someone's that vindictive, that means you think a different type of way, man. And then I don't know about that. 
But the thing is, we're assuming that the mum's just innocent and she's like, oh, I just happened mm. to get pregnant by two people. She could be vindictive as well. It could be, it could actually be a vindictive move. There are women out there that have yeah. done this vindictively. There are. So let's not make any assumptions. Oh, sorry. I thought I was going to say, yeah. Well, I don't um, think that she's 100% innocent either. I forgot to add that. I think there's an element of, if you're going to do that, like I've said before, you need to take some responsibility in this situation. You can't just fling some guy expecting to be okay with it. It's not cool. But he was a victim as well. And yeah, they should just go their separate ways, to be honest. Yeah. They can work it out. Mm. That's amazing. I don't know. Can you bounce back from someone doing something so vindictive you and exposing you? Maybe the win is that you stay together and you can be like, ha-ha, everybody who thought, I'd, you know, you judged me. I've still got my man. I don't know. It just seems all a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> you know how people feel? There, there was that story. Did you not see? Did I share it in the group? That story about the girl. I don't know if they're famous or they're influencers or they're just regular black folks who sh- shared it. It was on um, the Shade Room. The girl who's holding her husband's side baby or in the picture of her husband's side baby and said like you know guys I don't care what you say I'm staying with my man he made a mistake and then so she had that kind of cocky attitude like you lot can talk about us all you want but I still got my man and yes he had a side baby but we were loving together as a family and he's there holding <laughs> the baby under her arm and people was cussing and saying when will men stop embarrassing women like this <laughs> um, the thing but is that happens all the time that, I know, I know. That, Gabriel that Union. all the time all the, exactly oh. I know people that this happened to mm-hmm. it happens all the time so that's what I'm saying. And the point is, and some people are actually proud and like happy to kind of stick it to the audience who's judging them. Like, <laughs> listen, I got my man. I told him I had another man's baby. Da, 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 and then here we go. So sometimes it's just the fact that you've got a man is the is the win, regardless of what happened in the situation. So anyway. Oh, sorry. Just quickly, Nigel Mark says that will get thrown in her face in every argument, toxic situation. Yes, very true. Yeah, true, true. Okay, so, dear aunties, love the show. Can you help me? My friend thinks he can sing and rap, but he can't. <laughs> in my opinion, he's too old to be pursuing these dreams, and the guy has kids, and at his big age, he keeps putting money into studio sessions and producing trash. Basic <laughs> lyrics, offbeat singing, it's absolute trash. I have resulted to saying I'm busy when he asks me to listen to the tracks. It's beyond a joke now. He's also planning to audition for a big national show and I fear that he will be picked to be made fun of. What do I do? I know someone who's a rapper who shouldn't be, makes very shit videos and a very shit group. Oh, 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 I know who she means. She ain't lying. It's two guys who are old and shouldn't be rapping anymore and they need to stop and they think they're bad and they're shit. <laughs> Anyhow, and yes, I'm being vindictive about it as well. I hope you're listening. She's not wrong. So great. Give it up. Stop it. And yeah, shit. Anyhow, I think if you ask your friend and they're going to go down the lane of actually going out into public with this, I think you have to be honest. And I, I know it's difficult. I'm not even saying it's easy because I don't know how I would deal with it. But in my mind, I just feel like, listen, true talk, lovely to bits, but I just don't think you should go out there because you need, because I think sometimes, I think we've talked about this before. I've had people send things to the British Blacklist and I'm like, I don't understand why you think you should send this to me because it, in comparison to the other things that we share and we talk about, you must know that your work isn't of that standard. And it's not about 
you know, having big budgets and stuff like that. It's just about creative talent. You can have 10 pounds and make a YouTube video and it's just phenomenal because you've got raw talent. So I don't know what button is switched off in certain people's brains that they cannot see that their talent levels don't match to what is actually acceptable in society. <laughs> now, so you need to have a conversation in the best way you can and just say comparatively, maybe it's like, so do you think you're on Biggie's level? You know, are you on, where do you think you fit on this scale of rappers? And then, I don't know how you do it. I, I'm being really facetious because I just don't know how you do it. But I just think it starts with if it's a good friend and you really feel like they can take this information sensibly and not be offended, then speak to them honestly. I just don't, I know I'd, I wouldn't let my child go out and do nonsense and embarrass me. You're not doing it. So you're going to get the harsh reality. If you feel like they're going to be <laughs> egotistical and be like, I can't hear it. I don't care. I'm bad. You're a hater. Let them go. Let them be made a fool of. Because you know what? Sometimes some fools get money and they might be all right. I'm a happy fool. And they might make it to <laughs> X Factor or whatever, get to the last round and be number one because they're so damn shit. And then they're going to be money and you might get, you might benefit, might get some money out of them as well. So I, I don't think that it's um, the person's responsibility to say anything. I actually think that's like out of order. Like, don't say anything. That is the person's dream. <laughs> that's, their, that's their dream. If they want to make an ass out of themselves, that's their business. Like, that's none of your business to break somebody down. So you could even say, you know what, my ears don't respond well to the sounds that you make. So I'm not the best person to judge your music. Like, find somebody else who, if, if they like your tone, like, my ears, it jars me. Like, you, you can just put yourself as, like, I'm not the right person. But don't break them down. Don't say it. They're, they're lame. Because, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Like, somebody really may appreciate this dude's rapping style. And age is nothing but a number. They can look at Buster. How old is Buster? He's probably really 70 years old. <laughs> he's, still, he's still out there, there rapping. Like, it's not fair to be ageist. Like, just allow the person to live their dreams. They're not going to be here that long. It's cool, man. It's hard. It depends what type <laughs> of friend they are. If it was Auntie AK and she was like, I'm going to be a rapper. I feel like I could say to her, no, you're not. <laughs> but like, <laughs> if it's like a friend who's, I don't know, because they could be sensitive or whatever. I, I'm kind of with, I'm in the middle. I'm kind of like, yes, tell them they're rubbish. And I'm like, maybe not, because it could be seen as you raining on their parade. And it could just be you. It could be, it could actually be you that musically you don't take to what they're offering. It could be. Maybe just let them go out and they could go to this competition and they could be told, not today, and they could take that seriously because it's come from a professional rather than just some friend who might not like their type of music. It's hard. I don't think age has got anything to do with it, though. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to tell them. <laughs> Shock horror! <laughs> but I'm going to be tactful about it. I'm going to be tactful. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to tell them to crush their, crush their feelings, but I'll just be like, I think I've said something like this before, like, okay, this ain't for you, but this is. Do you know what I mean? Like, give them an alternative. Or, like, you know, maybe if it's just... Oh, no, they said bad lyrics, isn't it? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, or they could be, like, a ghostwriter, I was thinking. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, something like that with someone else. I get what you're saying in theory. If people have actual talent, yes, then age is not, age is not issue. And if you want to pursue this and you're not talented, 
you have to see it as a hobby or if it's something that you just enjoy. Do you know what I mean? So if it's a case of something, oh, they just enjoy it. Okay, cool. You just enjoy it. But I don't want you to present it to me as something serious because I'm going to critique it in a serious sense in relation to what else is in the world. So I would be really straight with them in terms of like what they're going to expect from me. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? That's what I would do. I just think that sometimes you do need that reality check, you know, like I've definitely benefited from that in the past when I've not been so good at things. I had a, a point in time when I wanted to be an MC and I remember one time <laughs> that I, I recited my lyrics and, and my sister at the time just looked at me and I, just, I knew, I knew, I knew what that meant. I knew what that meant. So I just put that mic down. It's not for me. That's Do you know what Somebody but else would have encouraged you. No, and they would have been making a fool out of me because now... Do you know what I mean? When I'm looking at it as a mature adult, looking back, I was just like, oh, oh shit. Yeah, I see. I see what it is. I just had a lot of passion for it, but it wasn't my talent. Do you know what I mean? So I just think like there, there is a balance, but I do think, I actually do think you have to be tactful. I don't think you should be like rude about it or whatever kind of thing. And you need to manage their expectations in terms of what they're going to get from you. I'll just read a few comments just quickly. Stephanie said, I would send them a link to a vocal training um, coach. <laughs> they can tell them. That's, yeah, that's, nice. <laughs> that's a good way. That's a nice way of doing it. Yeah. Um, Akoya said, sorry, Auntie AK, you can't take away someone's dreams. And then Andrea, so he said, I would ask as a friend, so where are you trying to take this? <laughs> <I'll laugh at laughs> wait, wait, wait. Who, asked, who, said, who, who said that I... I, I'm taking some away, away someone's dreams. I when you, when any... you were gunning the two rapper boys. That's shit. <laughs> she okay, ain't even lying. Right, all, right, all right, all right. Okay, let me, I am being vindictive. Let me say something. I'm not. Someone, Wait, I'm not. To be They're real. shit. Someone might say <laughs> that these guys have talent. And I know when they were younger, they were enthusiastic. But for me, at this point, at the, and it is this, for, for these two, it's an age thing. I think they, and they, I think they are doing it for fun, but there's an element where I got an email saying, yeah, could you promote this? And I was like, no, don't be naive to take it too far. Draw the line, allow me, don't be stupid. I'm not putting that out because you're not going anywhere with this. This should be a hobby. If it's a hobby, well done. If it's real life, you're trying to get on the charts, shut up, man, and get out of it. Get out of here. So I'm crushing their dreams. Yes, I am, vindictively, and with my chest, my whole entire chest. That was Auntie's No Best. If you have a dilemma, please send them to dilemmas.yourauntiescouldnever at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Auntie Farah and you're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. And now we're about to take you guys back with Black in the Day. Black in the Day. When I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Oh my God. So I listened to the song all the way through. The bit that they're talking about, Auntie Nana, is right at the end. It's right at the so end. So who never was li- listening to never tracks till the to end? It. Nobody exactly. gets there. Never, never listened to that bit before. But yeah, okay. Okay, guys. It's First there. of all, no, no, no. I've got a dilemma. Now, do you know what my dilemma is? That people are trying to <laughs> act like... You, like when you love a song and the song's great, oh! you listen to the end. Let me know. Tell me all yeah. your Beyonce songs that you know to the end. Oh, ad libs and all. Let's what are you go. talking about? Do you this not is not, we don't have time today. But I <laughs> We've got like five minutes right. and we're supposed to be going in. Now you want to go. Just check it. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> so I'm just, 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 I'm
So, remember when you was a little girl and it, you go to sleep and the next day it's your birthday and you're so excited. What was your best birthday party or celebration as a child? I'll go first because I literally cannot remember. I don't know. Oh, serious? I didn't have a birthday party until I was nine and I only was allowed a birthday party because it coincided with my first Holy Communion and my mum was like, Aww. you get to have a party now. And that was my only birthday party. I'm not talking about like when your, your cousins come around and you have cake. I mean like where you get to actually invite external members of the community. <laughs> like that was it, <laughs> age, age nine. And I think that's why now I go hard every time it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I was nine. And I remember it was great because my mum let me get extensions with beads at the bottom. Aww. And it, yeah, it, it was just, it was just so great. It was, it, it was the best experience. But then I remember maybe the next year I got in trouble on my birthday and I was like to my mum, it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I had parties, but I don't really remember any of them being like standing out for me other than the one where my mum pulled my ear. And I told you guys about that. That's... <laughs> Best and worst, I guess. So, because of the trauma of that incident, that birthday stays in my mind, but I have flashes to the other years. So I think out of my siblings, I probably had the most parties, being the youngest. And my mum always says, like, oh, you had a party every year. But I don't really remember. But maybe that was from being spoiled. So all of them mesh into, into one. I remember really enjoying a party where I got a Paddington Bear pat lunch because I wasn't allowed pat lunch at school and then I got the pat lunch box but never got to use it but I loved that pat lunch box but that's probably about it there's nothing that stands there nothing that stands out my 18th surprise wasn't a surprise because my friends kept on whispering as they were taking me out so that my family could get the house done. So I knew that I was going to have a party. So nothing really has been like, oh, big birthday party when I was a kid at all, really. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I remember, so the birthday that I liked the most wasn't actually my birthday, actually. It was for my sister and brother. And they had a joint birthday. We had like a whole... They had two cakes and me and my sisters were dressed the same. Had a little clip on my hair. Like, <laughs> it was just so much fun. It was just so much fun. And I just remember dancing and just generally having a good time. And it's like, I think that that picture is like all of like my cousins and like our neighbours and like the neighbours' kids and stuff. Like there's like this iconic picture from that time. My brother was one. I was eight. Um, yeah, kind of thing. But it was just such a great time. In terms of my birthday, what was good about it was that I was allowed to have a party. That was what was good about it. But so we done it at my house. We just moved to Brixton. And I think I was like either 13 or 14. So like I had like real grown up friends and like boys were allowed to come. But obviously, because we brought a mizzen, there was no alcohol. So when people realised there was no alcohol, obviously we're underage as well, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, we just generally just didn't have alcohol in the house. And like, people started leaving. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, oh no. But it was like, we were all sitting down, like staring at each other. It was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so 
desperate. Do you know what I mean? And then since then, like, I've just tried to make my birthday like the most exciting thing possible. Do you know what I mean? It's always like an affair. Um, yeah. It's only been the last like couple of years. I haven't really gone ham ham, but usually it's like three, four day affair. We might go paintballing or we might just, we might rave for three days straight. It depends. Like, do you know what I mean? It's always a big deal because yeah, that, that scarred me. Like, everyone <laughs> just leaving. It's sad. I was, I was sad. <laughs> but yeah. I think likewise with you, Nana, I know I definitely had parties when I was little, but I just don't remember them. And, they're kind of murdered with parental madness so I don't remember them but I think on the back of that I always made sure my daughter had great birthdays every year and the most significant one I don't know if that's her significant one the one I think I was most proud of was um, pulling off a trip to Beyonce concert on her 13th birthday in Amsterdam because that's where her father um, her father lived in Amsterdam at that time and basically she didn't know anything I just took her out of school (laughs) no I didn't take her out of school I literally like said oh we're going somewhere didn't tell her where we're going she's like we're like we got on the airplane all this type of stuff she did not know what was going on didn't tell her anything so I just said oh we're just gonna see your dad for your birthday for a birthday he picked her up he didn't say anything my cousins came too and like we stayed in a really fancy hotel and then we went to dinner like she didn't know on the day she didn't know what was going on and the what was beautiful was that Beyonce's concert was actually on her birthday so April the 22nd uh, 2013 so um we were at the restaurant, we had dinner, and then we were like, oh, let's go for a walk. And then up to that point, she still didn't know that we pulled up outside and she was like, oh, Beyonce's here. And then we like walked in and she was like, oh my God. And so she was really excited. <laughs> so um, that was like one, because she just did not have a clue up until even walking into, I think maybe walking through the concert hall, she kind of like, what's going on, mommy? <laughs> what's happening here? And so that was um, something I was pretty proud of. Got into a shitload of trouble when we got back to London because she did miss like a, she was late to school in the morning. I actually got her back to school on time, ish, ish, a little bit late. And I still had a go at her for, and blamed her as if she said it was she the one who took herself out of school. So I had to cuss her. Is that the one where you're in the Beyonce video? No, that was way, that was years ago. Oh, that was um, okay. a friend won a competition and we met Beyonce uh, in our okay. video. Hey, I'm Auntie Sade. You're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. It's almost time to wrap up. Before we do, aunties, what's made you sad, mad or glad? I'm sad about the family members that were dragged away from their dying daughter. Even though they had worked for the NHS for over 30 years, they were handcuffed. The dad was handcuffed and taken away from their terminally ill daughter. That makes me very sad. It also makes me very, very mad. I am glad that the sun is shining again and that we're looking to see, it looks like we're getting some good weather and I'm happy about that because I get to wear hardly any clothes. So, <laughs> fun times. <laughs> Sad still about Miss Taylor. Do you know what I mean? We still haven't got any progress there, which is really annoying. I'm going to change mad to curious and I'm curious about what the hell is going on with Ellen. <laughs> oh. I forgot about that. <laughs> and um I'm glad about let's say yes, everyday Friday my my clothing company is part of a pop-up, jammy pop-up in Shoreditch in Box Park for this week. So I'm very happy about that. Also glad about that. Thank you. Yes, Thank you. <laughs> I need to make it down. Yeah, um, shout out to Earth to Earth Organics who are also part of it. <laughs> 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 my, I'm going to also copy well you copied me Shade. I'm changing my sad to bemused that it's August already like this year really has oh, just yeah. we're in August I, yeah so yeah, lockdown has just locked off this whole year to be honest yeah. it's mad so I'm a bit bemused not sad because it's been 
I've had some nice times, but it's just, I'm, I'm amused. Mad because I signed up for a Monzo card. It came today. Uh, the envelope was like also expensive, nice day, navy blue. And it looked like the envelopes I get when I'm going to a premiere or an event. So I thought, oh, maybe I've forgotten. Maybe I'm supposed to be going somewhere or I'm getting a special invite somewhere. Opened it up, it was a damn Monzo card. So I'm a bit mad because I was thinking <laughs> I'm going to get this invite to somewhere special because the card, the envelope was so glorious, so pretty. And it was not, it was just a Monzo card. So that disappointed me, so I got mad. <laughs> and then um, glad. Can I just add about Monzo? Just in case you were going to put all of your millions into Monzo, do not, because they are currently in financial trouble. Yes, so, see? Yes. Yes, see. As a word and of everyone, warning. they're going to get a bailout or they're going to be absorbed by a current bank. So it'll just, yeah, I think we'll be fine. And you're guaranteed up to 85 grand anyway. Just don't move your millions, because remember, yeah. 85 grand to all of the millions that you've got. Oh, yes, yeah, so of course. Yeah. I'd like to update my mad to the fact that Auntie Nana is sending bat signals that I'm a millionaire. People, <laughs> I'm not. Okay? Please don't come for me. My little shekels, I ain't got no millions put in Monzo. I literally, I did Monzo to get the little extra piece of savings that they do for you. And also, I'm, I'm just generally glad I'm here, healthy, breathing. Um, I've come in a really good mood. Or well, not really good mood, I'm just happy. So, I'm glad for that. I am sad, curious, annoyed at the ongoing double standards with hate speech and Wiley's penalization against other people being able to talk freely and nothing happens to them. And even The Voice doing a really balanced talk with him also gets the Jewish council to put some pressure on them to remove it. And it's like, the article was so just really still apologizing, explaining his point of view, and that's still not good enough. Like, it's like, we cannot talk. And it just feels, again, like what 2020 does, it just shows people's asses. And yeah, my sympathy is actually waning with the Jewish community response to this because it just seems so penalizing to actually shut down anybody that mentions anything so yeah now that's been sad actually but then also i've been kind of mad with the cover-up of ellen's story <laughs> like the fact that it's coming out like oh i'm deciding to step down when it's like you've got a lot of shit on your plate and you're not you're not stepping down like you're basically being sacked really and there's lots of other things where it's a bit like she may also be involved in the child trafficking stuff as well or be affiliated what? to yeah there's lots of underground stuff with ellen so is that from the wayfair thing no because i'm sure someone mentioned that ellen's picture came up on the <laughs> no wayfair it's not it's not the wayfair stuff but it's another case it's called pizzagate google it look into it ellen's name comes up a lot as well and then i'm very happy that the weather is nice as well. And that is your auntie's good never. Thank Thanks you for watching. Guys. Thank you. Like, like comment, comment, and subscribe. subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> that was the time. And that's it. Do hit us up on Instagram and let us know what's made you sad, mad and glad. If you want to follow the aunties, here's how you can. You can follow me, Auntie AK, on all social media platforms at The British Blacklist. You can follow me, Auntie Nana, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter at Love Yaya.
You can follow me, Auntie Shade, at Shade Salami on all platforms. And you can follow me, Auntie Farah, on Instagram at FarOutProductions77. And that's our show. You've been listening to Your Aunties Could Never podcast, hosted by The British Blacklist. Please listen to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other listening platforms. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as Your Aunties Could Never. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. See you later. <laughs>